0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, the verses 26 through 29. And these words form also our text. Let us hear the word of God. And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle Because the harvest is come. So far, the reading of the Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word to our hearts. Dear friends, when I was in grade school, as part of the science curriculum, our teacher taught a unit on plants. As part of the unit, he had us take a glass, stuff it with wet paper towel, and then place a bean seed in the paper towel so that you could see it through the glass. Then we put the glasses on the windowsill, and every day we had to sprinkle a bit of water on the paper towel to keep it moist. Then after several days, something amazing happened. A tiny slit appeared in the seed. Over time, a stem appeared, which grew and grew, and it kept growing until it developed into a fully grown plant. It's fun and amazing to watch a seed grow. But did you know that a seed growing teaches us some very important spiritual lessons, specifically about the kingdom of God? Earlier we read together from Mark chapter 4, the verses 26 through 29. In this passage, Jesus tells another parable about a seed. And we call this the parable of the seed growing secretly, which is recorded only here in Mark's gospel. Now, there's a close connection between this parable and the parable of the sower, which precedes it, and which we reflected on the last time. In the first place, both parables have to do with seeds. In the second place, both parables teach a truth about the kingdom of God. But both parables have a different focus. The parable of the soils focuses on the preparation of the soil for the gospel, And the main message of this parable is that in order for the seed of the gospel to bear fruit, it must fall into the right type of soil. That is, it must be received into a receptive heart. The parable of the seed growing secretly, however, focuses on the process of the gospel. The main message of this parable is that when the seed of the gospel is planted in the heart, it will grow and develop and produce fruit. What is more, the parable of the sower and the parable of the seed emphasize different truths. The parable of the sower emphasizes human responsibility. In order for the seed to bear fruit, the soil must be prepared, and that is the responsibility of the hearer. Whereas in the parable of the seed growing secretly, the emphasis is more on divine sovereignty. God, not the farmer, has so designed the seed that when it is planted, it will grow and bear fruit. And as such, these two parables serve to balance and complement each other. Now, with the help of the Lord, we want to consider this parable under this theme, the growth of Christ's kingdom. We'll consider, first of all, its commencement, secondly, its continuation, and thirdly, its consummation. First then, its commencement. Like the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares, which we considered last time, the parable of the seed growing secretly is about the kingdom of God. Now you remember that the kingdom of God is not a physical earthly kingdom, it is a spiritual heavenly kingdom. And it is present wherever the power of the gospel is manifested, either in the world at large or in our own hearts and lives. Now, Jesus here compares the kingdom of God to a man casting seed on the ground. Today, we sow seed using a tractor and a seed drill. But as we saw when we considered the parable of the sower, in ancient times, a farmer sowed his seed by hand. He would sling a large bag over his shoulder full of seed, and then he would walk up and down the furrows of his field, scattering seed as he went. And that's exactly what's happening here. A man... Is sowing seed into the ground. Now, this raises a number of questions. First of all, what is this seed? Well, the seed is the Word of God, just like in the parable of the sower. It's compared to a seed because, like a seed, the Word has great potential. It is full of life. And when it is applied by the Holy Spirit, it can bring life out of the heart of a dead sinner changing him and transforming him, bringing him out of a state of spiritual deadness into a state of spiritual life. Secondly, who is the man? Some commentators say that the man is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's because later in the parable, the man is said to reap, which is something the Lord Jesus will do on the day of judgment. But the man cannot be the Lord Jesus, and that's because in verse 27... Jesus says that the man does not know how the seed springs up and bears fruit. But Jesus knows everything. What is more, Jesus says the man sleeps. But Jesus, at least in his state of exaltation, never sleeps. Therefore, the man cannot be the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more likely that the man here represents anyone who shares the gospel, but particularly preachers. And that's because this is their special task. The special task of ministers is to sow the seed of the word of God. Now, to be sure, no minister can preach unless he is called and equipped and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ through his church. Therefore, while the man is not Christ, we cannot totally separate him from Christ either. Ultimately, Christ is the one who not only sows the seed by human instrumentality, but also causes it to grow into a full plant and reaps the harvest but the man as such is not Christ the point is that and this is where the kingdom of God begins it begins with a sower sowing the seed it begins with ordinary people but in particular ministers of the gospel proclaiming the gospel to sinners Now, we learn several things here. We learn, first of all, how necessary is the preaching of the word of God for spiritual life and growth. And that bears repeating. The church today is resorting to all kinds of gimmicks and worldly methodologies and techniques in order to cause the church to grow. They include things like contemporary music and drama and movies on the life of Christ and telemarketing campaigns and you name it. But none of these methods are sanctioned by God. The only method of church growth sanctioned by God is the preaching of his word. Let us therefore never despise or diminish the importance of the preaching of the word of God, much less substitute it with something else. It is through the preaching of the word of God that God produces spiritual life and growth. The second thing we learn here is this. How vitally important are preachers of the gospel. In order for the seed to produce fruit, it must be sown. And that is true also in spiritual life. In order for the word of God to impact people and change their hearts, it must be proclaimed. And that is the task of ministers of the gospel. They are his instruments through which he causes the seed of his word to be sown. Romans 10, Paul writes, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he asks this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If we reverse the order, we could say this, If there is no preacher, no one will hear. And if no one hears, no one will believe. And if no one believes, no one will be saved. So everything hinges on the preacher. Now that's not to say that a sinner cannot be saved apart from the preaching of the word of God. Some indeed are. But that is not God's normal way of working. God normally saves sinners through the preaching of his word. Well, let us pray, therefore, that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. For the fields are white with harvest. The third thing we learn here is how much Christ cares about us and our salvation. The Bible clearly teaches that God takes no pleasure in condemning sinners to hell. On the contrary, he desires that they repent of their sins and believe on his Son and receive the gift of everlasting life. And the fact that God in Christ sends his servants ministers of the gospel to preach his word is positive proof that he cares for us and our salvation dear friends how God how good God is imagine he had not given us his word imagine he had not given us preachers to proclaim his word where would we be we would be lost without hope Under the wrath and condemnation of God, consigned to spend an everlasting eternity in hell. But he did not do so. Instead, he had mercy on us. He gave us everything we need to come to faith in him and to be saved from our sins. Thanks be to God. The Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, uses his word and preachers to cause his kingdom to grow. Now, how does that growth happen? That brings us to our second point, its sovereign continuation. As we've seen, the man in our parable sows his seed into the ground. Now, what happens after he sows the seed? Well, Jesus says, and after sowing the seed, the man in our text slept and rose again day after day and night after night. Meanwhile, something amazing was happening in the field the seed began to sprout and to grow. Now you'll notice three things about this growth. First of all, it is imperceptible. That means we do not always see it right away. When we plant a seed in the ground, we do not see it grow right away. It is only after a period of time that we notice that the seed has grown. And so it is with respect to the kingdom, both in the world and in our own hearts. Its growth is often imperceptible. We do not always notice it right away. We do not always know when the Lord begins to work in our hearts. We cannot always name the date and the time and the circumstance. Some can, many others cannot. Not everyone has a conversion story to tell. All we know is that we love the Lord and that we're trusting in him and we're striving to serve him and to live for him. The second thing is that this growth is inevitable. Nothing can stop a seed from growing. If a seed falls into a crack in the sidewalk, it will grow, eventually even cracking the sidewalk if it grows big enough. Why is that? Because it is in the nature of a seed to grow and to become a full-grown plant. Verse 28, Jesus says that the earth yields crops by itself. The phrase by itself in the Greek is automate, from which we get the English word automatic. And by using that word, Jesus is teaching us that it is in the nature of a seed to grow. Well, so it is in the kingdom. When the Word of God is applied to the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will produce fruit fruits of faith and repentance and holiness. And what's especially striking about this is the fact that man has no role to play in this whatsoever. Man's job is to sow the seed. Then God takes over and he causes it to bear fruit. As the Apostle Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. To reinforce this, Jesus says that the man who sowed the seed actually goes to sleep. He doesn't uncover the seed every hour or so to see what is happening and to see if there's anything he can do to make it grow. No, he simply leaves it in the ground and then he lets nature take its course. And that is true also in the kingdom. As much as they wish they could at times, preachers cannot produce fruit. Now, some try. They play on people's emotions. They issue so-called altar calls. They put pressure on people to quote-unquote, make a decision for Christ and pray the sinner's prayer. And then they boast about how many people they brought to Christ on any given day. But this is all the work of man. It is not the work of God. The truth is, all man can do is sow the seed. God must do the rest. Thirdly, we learn here that this growth is inexplicable. That means it cannot be fully explained. Jesus says, the man who sowed the seed did not know how it grew. Oh, He knew that the seed had to be planted in soil. He knew that it had to have sunshine and rain, but he did not know how it grew. It was a mystery to him. And so it is when it comes to the kingdom of God. The growth of the kingdom is a mystery. In John 3 verse 8, Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wants, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so Jesus here compares the work of the Spirit to the wind. Just as we cannot tell where the wind is coming from and where it is going, so we cannot discern exactly how and when and where the Holy Spirit works in the heart of a sinner. It is a mystery. The hymn writer put it like this. He says, I know not how the Spirit moves, Convicting men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, or how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. Commenting on this, the Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle writes this, he says, The workings of grace in the heart are utterly mysterious and unsearchable. We cannot explain why the word produces effects on one person in a congregation and not another. We cannot explain why, in some cases, with every possible advantage and in spite of every entreaty, people reject the word and continue dead in trespasses and sins. We cannot explain why, in other cases, with every possible difficulty and with no encouragement, people are born again and become decided Christians. We cannot define the manner in which the Spirit of God conveys life to a soul and the exact process by which a believer receives a new nature. All these things are hidden to us like a seed growing under the ground. We see certain results, but we can go no further. Fourthly, we learn here that this growth is incremental. In fact, Jesus suggests there is a three-stage process. First, he says, the blade appears. Now, the blade is the first tiny shoot that breaks through the surface of the ground. Secondly, he says, the heads of grain appear. And then finally, the full grains in the head appear. Now, these three stages of growth represent various levels of spiritual maturity. Some are tiny blades. They're just beginning to wake up spiritually. Others are heads of grain. They're fully awakened, but they still have some way to go. And still others are fully ripened. They are assured of their faith and they are producing fruit to the glory of God. John uses similar language in 1 John 2 verses 13 and 14. He speaks there of fathers and young men and children. Fathers, of course, are the most mature believers. Young men are less mature but growing and children are the least mature. But they are all believers. The point is not everyone is at the same level spiritually. Some are more mature than others. But what matters is not so much whether we have a mature faith, although we should all be striving for that, but whether we have faith at all. Again, J.C. Ryle says this, he says, let us not despise grace because it is weak or think people are not converted because they are not yet as strong in the faith as Paul. Let us remember that grace, like everything else, must have a beginning. The mightiest oak was once an acorn, The strongest man was once a babe. Better a thousand times have grace in the blade than no grace at all. So one of the lessons we can learn from this is that if there is life, there will also be growth. A seed cannot remain a seed. It must develop into a full-grown plant. The blade cannot remain a blade. It must develop into a head. The head cannot remain a head, it must develop into a full grain in the head. But how is this done? To be sure, this is God's work, but it is also ours. God commands us to mortify the old man. While he gives us the grace to do this, he does not do that for us. We must do that ourselves. Similarly, he commands us to quicken the new man. Again, he gives us the grace to do this, But he does not do this for us. We must do this ourselves. And the question is, are you doing that? Are you striving by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to grow in grace? Too many of us, I fear, are content to remain where we are, spiritually speaking. We are content with the status quo. We think as long as there's some evidence of life, then that's all that matters. But my friend, that is wrong. God does not want us to remain where we are spiritually. He wants us to grow. To grow in knowledge, to grow in grace, to grow in holiness. If you don't desire that, and if you're not praying for that, and working towards that, then something is seriously wrong. Continuation of the kingdom, therefore, is a process, but it is one that leads finally to a consummation, and that brings us to our third and final point. The seed that was sown sprouted and grew. First the blade appeared, then the head, then the grain in the head. And then at long last, the time came for the crop to be harvested. Jesus says, but when the grain ripens, literally, whenever the condition of the crop permits, immediately he that is the sower puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You notice that the harvester puts in his sickle immediately. That mean, the meaning is at once, without delay, the man will not wait a moment longer. As soon as the crop is ready, he puts in the sickle. Now, why the urgency? Well, because if he waits too long, the crop will spoil. In order for him to maximize his return, he has to harvest the grain as soon as it is ready that is true also when it comes to the kingdom of Christ. At exactly the right time, Christ's servants will take in the harvest, meaning they will take those who confess faith in Christ and gather them into the barn, which is the church of Jesus Christ. But this harvesting is only a foretaste of a much greater harvest to come, and that will take place on the Day of Judgment. When that day comes, Christ will do two things. First of all, he will gather the wheat into barns and he will also burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, he will take up his people to live and reign with him forever and the wicked and unbelieving he will cast into hell. John speaks of that in Revelation chapter 14. John writes, and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Christ does the reaping. Christ is the ultimate reaper of his people. Now we learn several lessons from this. First of all, we learn we should not lose hope. At times the harvest may appear to be a long way off yet. And we may even wonder, is the Lord ever coming back? How long will he delay his coming? But make no mistake, my friend, he is coming. But he's waiting for exactly the right moment until every one of his elect has been gathered in. Then and not until then, the harvest will come and he will gather all of his people unto himself, and they shall live and reign with him forever and ever. Secondly, we learn here that the Lord's timing is always perfect. Although the harvest points to the day of judgment, it also has application to the day of our death, which is in itself a kind of judgment day for every one of us, and that when we die, we will have to stand before him. Now, sometimes God takes his people away at what seems to us, at least, like a most inopportune time. For example, when they're very young or very suddenly. But this parable teaches us that the Lord never puts in his sickle until the harvest is exactly ready. And he knows best when his people are ready for the harvest. For some, this is when they are very old. For others, when they are middle age and for still others when they are still quite young, yes, even still in infancy. Let us therefore not question the Lord's dealings. His way is perfect, even if we do not always understand it. Thirdly, we learn here that we should always be ready. Now that can be a challenge at times. We have a tendency to think that the harvest is still a long way off that we still have plenty of time and we get so caught up in the things of this life that we completely forget about the life to come. Some of us even postpone repenting and believing. But my friend, that is wrong. As believers, we need to be constantly prepared for the second coming of Christ. In fact, we should be looking forward to it with eager expectation and even longing. Our daily prayer should be Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let the harvest begin. Take me to live and to reign with you forever. Was that not also the Apostle Paul's desire? What did he write in Philippians? To me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To be with Christ, says Paul, is far better. Oh, is that also your desire? Is this also your prayer? Make no mistake. My friend, Christ is coming. The harvest is ripening as we speak. Christ is accomplishing his purposes. He is sowing the seed. And one day he will gather in the harvest. Are you ready? If not, go to the Lord. Ask him to sow the seed of the word in your heart, that it may also bear fruit, so that when the time comes, he may gather you also into his barn. Seeds are amazing things. Under the right conditions, from a tiny seed comes a whole plant. The next time you see or plant a seed, think of this parable. Think of how the Lord sows his spiritual seed through the preaching of his word. And pray that the seed that he has planted, also today, through this message, may bear fruit a hundredfold to the glory of his holy name amen dear friends we're always pleased to hear from our listeners if you were blessed by the message you have heard today or if you were blessed by previous messages on this program please let us know our mailing address is banner of truth 3386 mount Lehman road Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can give me a call at 778-982-9102. That's 778-982-9102. And please remember to include the call letters of this station. If you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again or if you would like more information about our program including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program please visit our website at Banner of Truth Radio that's all one word Banner of If you would like more information about the Free Reform Churches of North America which sponsors this broadcast please log on to our denominational website at www.frcna.org. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.